Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. I don't know about you guys, but I have this awful habit of scrolling on my phone before bed um, and I'm really bad. I can just lose hours of sleep just reading articles on the internet. Anyway, the other day a friend told me about this thing called revenge bedtime procrastination. Not sure some of you might have heard of this. Um, I think it's somewhat new but pretty much it describes the decision to sacrifice sleep for leisure time and it's driven by a daily schedule that's lacking free time. So for people with really densely packed schedules, especially densely packed work or home life schedules that take up the bulk of their day, revenge bedtime procrastination is a way of finding a few hours of entertainment, um, even though it results in insufficient sleep. And I am so guilty of doing this at periods where I'm working or studying so much that I don't have a lot of free time and it's just the worst. Well, anyway, about two weeks ago, I was scrolling through my phone late at night or I guess I was revenge bedtime procrastinating on my phone and this article caught my eye. And so I thought, great, just just one more read and then I'll go to sleep. And the article was called History's Most Infamous Betrayals. And it listed things like Judas betrays Jesus or Brutus betrays Caesar or Donna Marina, who was this um, Aztec woman, betrayed her own culture uh, when they were colonised. And then there were ones like Tokyo Rose betrays America. So lots of war, wartime stories that I found really, really fascinating. And it made me think of some of our more recent betrayals in Australian political history. Anytime there was a spill um, in leadership, like Julia Gillard betrays Kevin Rudd or Scobo betrays Turnbull. And as I read through all of these stories from my very heavy eyelids, the thing that I reflected on about betrayal um, is the reasons behind it are really diverse but usually fall into two categories. It either comes down to self-protection, that if I don't do this, um, I might die, or self-advancement, which is, I need more power, I need more finances, I need more things for me. Um, and to do these things, to either get self-protection or self-advancement, uh, they break trust. To be able to betray means that there had been some trust between the two parties in the beginning um, and that it has been broken. And I think that's why betrayal hurts so much because when there is trust, there is a vulnerability, there is a loyalty, there is a connection. So the breaking of that trust stings. And I'm sure you have all um, heard stories of betrayal, uh, whether you've been part of them yourself, whether you've been betrayed by someone or you've been the betrayer. And on either side, I think they sting because either side of the, the uh, betrayee or the betrayed feels that that trust is broken, that vulnerability is no longer there. So today we're going to jump into the Bible story and many of you might have guessed it. It's the story of betrayal. It's a story of denial, but it's not um, 
Judas and Jesus, like we mentioned before. Usually I'd pop the reading up on the screen, but seeing as I'm on the screen, I can't this morning. Um, so I would just encourage you to pick up your Bibles and follow along. Um, Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. Uh, and it is following on from last week where Cam preached after Jesus had been praying on the Mount of Olives and then he's just been arrested. So the passage says this from verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance and some there had kindled a fire in the middle of a courtyard and he sat down with them together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, uh, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Well, let's jump into this story together. Jesus has just been arrested and taken to the house of the high priest for a religious trial. Now, this is pretty controversial. Under Jewish law, he would be trialed in the temple in front of all, um, all 71 members of the Sanhedrin. But instead, he is taken to the high priest's house in the dark of night. It's a rush trial, and it's on one of the busiest nights of the Jewish calendar, Passover Eve. Everybody's preparing for Passover. Even if all 71 members were summoned, there is no way they would all be available and present at the high priest's house. So we get this picture of injustice happening at this religious trial. And then the story pans to Peter. Instead of following along close by Jesus, Peter decides to hang back. He puts some distance between himself and Jesus. How often have we done this, that we put some distance between ourselves and Jesus? Then another disciple says to Peter, Look, I think I know how to get us in to the high priest's house. I can sneak us in. So rather than going with Jesus, announcing himself to everyone at the home that he, Peter, is with Jesus, that Jesus is his teacher, his rabbi, he decides to hang back, and he ends up in the courtyard close enough to hear what's happening in the house, but further enough away that he isn't implicating himself in Jesus's downfall. Consider this, that if Peter had just stuck by Jesus, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to deny him. So here we have Peter. He is huddled up by the fire in the courtyard he is surrounded probably by the women and the house help and the slaves 
um, of these religious uh, leaders and elite, pretty much anyone from their household um, or community who isn't in high enough standing is outside in the courtyard. Um, as the rabbis and the teachers and the members of the Sanhedrin are questioning Jesus inside the house. And so that's where we find Peter, this man who has walked closely beside Jesus the past three years. Peter has witnessed his ministries, his miracles. He's been on the receiving end of this intimate sort of relationship with Jesus. He's shared meals with him. He's prayed with him. And yet we don't find him at this time close with Jesus. We see him outside. We find him choosing to put space between himself <clears throat> and Jesus. The text never gives us an explanation of why, but I'm sure we can all make assumptions. It could be fear or doubt or insecurity. The servant girl who is by the fire, she looks up and she recognises Peter. She realises that she must have seen Peter in the past with Jesus. So she says to him, this man is with him. But Peter speaks up and says, woman, I don't know him. And that's the first betrayal of Jesus. So Peter keeps hanging in the courtyard with these religious folks who are there um, trying Jesus. And sometime after another man in the yard says, hey, you're one of them. He doesn't ask it. He just makes the statement to Peter. You're not with us. You're with them. You're with the Jesus people. So Peter responds, man, I am not. This seems to settle things down again. And we don't know if this man is convinced that he's not, that Peter's not with Jesus or that he goes away to consult someone else. And the story doesn't tell us. But we can assume that Peter is starting to sweat at this point. He's probably overcome by uncertainty, disbelief, probably guilt is settling in. But an hour later, another person asserts, certainly this fellow was with him. He is a Galilean. He points out that Peter is a Galilean and they are kind of like the country bumpkins. Peter probably has an accent and is a little rough around the edges. Um, so would stick out like a sore thumb against these city dwelling religious folks. And for the final time, Peter denies Jesus. Just as Jesus prophesied at the Last Supper, the rooster crows and Peter responds, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, and I imagine it just like an arrow shooting through the sky with absolute precision until it hits its bullseye. Jesus looks up at that exact moment and he sees Peter. This is such a dramatic scene because we have Jesus in another room in, inside the house, being trialed before the religious council. Um, he's surrounded by hate. He's surrounded by commotion. He is surrounded by questioning. Yet Jesus isn't concerned for himself in this moment. He's concerned for Peter. He knows Peter. He knows precisely where Peter is in the courtyard. And so despite what's going on around and to Jesus, Jesus instead looks up looks beyond the room that he is in and turned and he looks straight at Peter. The words used here in the original Greek is emblipo, which means to look upon with fixed attention and to consider. 
At this moment, Jesus considers Peter. And with that look full of compassion, of truthfulness, of the shared pain of what has happened, the trust that is broken, um, this loving judgment, Jesus needs no words to steer straight into the heart of Peter what he has done, the profound denial and betrayal. And that look that Jesus gives finally just slays Peter. I imagine that that is the moment when the weight of what he has done crashes in around him like an enormous tsunami that he has betrayed his Lord and Saviour and so he flees. He turns away and he weeps and he realises that he is no longer a disciple of Jesus, that he has severed his ties, he has denied him and said, I am not one of them. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody cry when they have heard a loved one has passed away and it is this gut-wrenching cry of grief. That is what I imagine that Peter sounds like as he leaves and weeps because that's what failure can do to us. It can feel heavy. It can feel like a profound grieving. It can pierce us to our very core. It can feel like it's rewriting our story to say that, no, this is you now, that this is you. This failure defines you. Weep now because it's all that you have left to do. But that's not where Jesus leaves Peter. And that's not where Jesus leaves humanity either. We're not left to be defined by our failures. We're going to jump into another gospel now, the gospel of John, because that's where we see Peter reinstated as a disciple and redeemed by Jesus. And if you'd like, you can go and read along with the story um, in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. Uh, but I will run through it quite quickly now with you. It's after Jesus has been resurrected. Peter, um, who we remember no longer considers himself a disciple, he feels severed from Jesus. He goes back to his day job in Galilee. He's out with two other disciples fishing. They've been out all night. There's no fish that have been biting. So the miraculously resurrected Jesus shows up on the beach. And what does he do? Well, he starts a fire on the beach and he does something really practical. He just starts cooking them breakfast and he calls out to the men on the boat. And this is where we see that miracle of the fish. After a night of no bites, Jesus tells them to move the net to the other side of the boat and that's where they catch 153 fish. And that's when Peter realises that this, this man on the shore is the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat and he runs into the shore to Jesus. And they all eat this meal together. The beauty of this story is that Jesus is the one who is reaching out. Jesus is the one who is coming to Peter. Jesus is the one who is... Um, that space that Peter created to walk between them, Jesus is the one who is coming to uh, meet Peter again and close that space. Jesus is paving the way for Peter to return to him. And what we know of Peter is that when 
Jesus first ever called him as a disciple in Luke 5 to become a fisher of humans, it looks similar to this story. It was on a beach that he called him. It was after they had been fishing. But Peter failed the first time. But this is where we find Jesus coming back to call him again. What we see here is Jesus taking him back and reminding him of that time three years ago when he first believed, when he first received God's grace and accepted the invitation to walk the path of ministry with Christ. So Jesus is laying the foundation down with Peter over breakfast as they all commune Together, Jesus is reminding Peter of the commitment he first made. Then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter responds. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And the third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter at this point is hurt because Jesus has asked him for a third time. Do you love me? He said. And Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus again says, feed my sheep. Jesus, in the act of relationship and knowing, has asked Peter, do you love me? Because that's what failed in the courtyard that night. What failed in the courtyard was love. It was a failure of Peter's love. Because when we love Christ, we commit our security, we commit our future, we commit our well-being, we commit our happiness to the Lord. That night in the courtyard, Peter failed to show his commitment. His fear and his cowardice cracked his love and sent it away. So Jesus seeks to reinstate Peter by seeing if he has repented and if he has changed. So he asked, do you love me? And he asked it not once, not twice, but three times, the exact amount of times that Peter denied Jesus. That's the same amount of times that Peter must recommit to him. And after each, Jesus reinstates Peter's purpose and his calling to feed my lambs, to take care of my sheep, to feed my sheep. And finally, he says to Peter, follow me. And as we know, that day on the beach, redemption happens. As we then see in Acts and uh, Peter's letters, he goes on to spread Christianity and form parts of the early church um, and bringing especially the good news to the Gentiles. Jesus redeems Peter's whole life and purpose. And that's what Jesus' entire ministry is about. Jesus is the God of second chances. Jesus is the God of third and fourth chances of this endless hope of wasteful love, of bottomless grace. And Peter chooses to love Jesus and therefore trust him. Peter, despite his failure, he looks Jesus head on. He faces his failure and he is ready 
when Jesus says to him, you are still worthy, you are still fit to lead my sheep. And he trusts that. And he trusts that Jesus is going to give him a new tomorrow. And just like Peter, we aren't defined by our failures or our insecurities or our broken bodies or our fear. We all have value. God knows you so well. So if there is something this morning that you feel is holding you back, if you feel has defined your identity, um, I want to invite you today, if that is out of a place of brokenness, if that is out of a place of failure, you can let go of that because God knows you well. God knows your story. God has a purpose for you and you have a new tomorrow. So the question is, do you love Jesus? And do you trust that Jesus is here to give you a new tomorrow? Let's pray. Loving God, we draw close to you. Any space this morning or in our lives that we have put between you and us, God, we invite you this morning to make it known to us that you are drawing close, that you are drawing close to us individually, but you are also drawing close to us as a collective and as a world to redeem not just us individually, but redeem our whole world that you come to give this whole world, this whole of creation and us a new tomorrow. So God, ready us and lead us with your spirit to put our trust in you and to acknowledge and take part in that new tomorrow. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.